Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through one more of these today, one more of these passages of scripture that people use and just kind of take out of context and apply to whatever they want to in their life. And if you've been in church longer than a few months, I am sure you've heard this passage of scripture and uh, it's number one in your notes. And you'll probably know right where we're going just by these three words. The first line is if, if my people, can you feel it? it where, where it goes next? It's uh, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name and humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from heaven or turn from their wicked ways, not turn from heaven, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, got ahead of myself, and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Okay, so <clears throat> this is a, a really good scripture to preach with because it is a good vamp scripture. You know what a vamp scripture is? This is what a vamp scripture is. Um, if you feel like, you know, you're trying to get people involved and respond to the, the message, you know, you can go, you can you'd be telling people, you know, you know, we need to turn back to God. We need to go back to him. And, and then, the, you know, if you got a good B3 organ or somebody who really knows how to play it in your service, you know what I mean? You can say, and if my people, wow, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, wow, wow. You know what I mean? And people start, you know, getting all excited and Jericho march around and they start shouting and be like, yes, heal our land, heal our land. You know what I mean? It's like an excitement, like work, work us up because it's because what we do is we automatically think this is a promise for us and to our land. But we're going to dig in to see exactly what this means um, this week. So we talked about one of the reasons that people quote unquote fortune cookie scriptures is because of the verse numbers. They, they don't realize that the Bible was not written with numbered chapters and numbered verses. And so they just look at it and go, Oh, I can just take this little verse or the sentence that's been numbered and I can just apply this wherever it goes. Well, in this instance, in second Chronicles seven, where this, where this verse is, um, the chapter, the chapter numbers work against us because to understand what second Chronicles seven is saying, we can't just back up in that chapter. We have to go to second Chronicles six, the chapter before and figure out um, what's being said there. Now, let me give you a little setting and, and let me, let me paint the backdrop for you. What's going on here before we read these 11 verses together <clears throat> and um, David, King David from the Old Testament, he has died and he has appointed his son Solomon to be king. Before David died, he asked God, can I please build a temple for or a tabernacle for the Ark of the Covenant? I don't want it to sit under a tent my entire reign. It sat under a tent. I don't want it to do that. I want to build a house for you, for your presence. Spirit of God says, no, your hands are stained with a lot of blood from war, but I'm going to let your son build the temple who comes after you. So Solomon is his son, and he is given the privilege to build the temple. Solomon builds a temple, and when I say he built the temple, he built a temple. He spared no expense. It was wildly extravagant. And if you read back through First and Second Chronicles, the Bible actually lists the weight 
of the gold and the weight of the silver that was brought from the people of Israel and um, given by the king to build the tabernacle. Um, all the guys who were doing the accounting, there was so much bronze that was brought to them. They just decided not even to count it. It's just more than we can count. Like all the bean counters were like, there's not enough beans to go around here to count all these. So just put in there, it's more than we can count. So we don't really know how much copper there was or bronze, but we do know the amount of silver and gold. Next line in your notes, just the gold and silver used for the temple would be the equivalent of more than, first line, 150, second line, billion with a B, that is not a typo, that I did not say that wrong, billion, 150 billion dollars today. <clears throat> Gold presently sits somewhere around $2,200 an ounce. Silver is about $24 an ounce. So you can just imagine how many pounds more than a, um, actually multiple millions of pounds of gold and silver were brought to get to $150 billion. A billion dollars is a thousand millions. There's 150 of those. So it's a lot. He spared no expense. It was wildly extravagant. It was uh, unbelievably expensive. And here in Second Chronicles chapter 6, the, the, the temple and the tabernacle is finished building. And they're going to dedicate the temple to God. There was so much, there was so much uh, um, bronze and there's so much bronze that was brought that Solomon made a seven foot wide by seven foot long by four and a half feet tall um, uh, stand, like, a, like to raise him up off the ground so he could stand in front of it and, dress, and address all of the nation of Israel who came to the dedication of the temple. Solomon, uh, most of Second or Second Chronicles chapter 6 is a prayer. We're only going to look at 11 verses just in the instance of time that are going to help explain what this other verse that we're talking about, this fortune cookie, is about. So I'm going to have Brian come real quick. I'm going to have him read Second Chronicles 6, 19-31 out loud in your hearing. You can just kind of follow along in your notes. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his supplication, O Lord my God, to listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant prays before you, that your eye may be open toward this house day and night, toward the place of which you have said that you would put your name there, to listen to the prayer which your servant shall pray toward this place. Listen to the supplication of your servant and of your people is of your people, Israel, hold on, I lost my place there. When they pray toward this place, hear from your dwelling place, from heaven, hear and forgive. If a man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath, and he comes and takes an oath before your altar in this house, then hear from heaven and act and judge your servants, punishing the wicked by bringing his way on his own head and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. If your people, Israel, are defeated before an enemy because 
because they have sinned against you and they return to you and confess your name and pray and make supplication before you in this house, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which you have given them and to their fathers. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you and they pray towards the place and confess your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants and your people Israel. Indeed, teach them the good way in which they should walk and send them rain on your land, which you have given to them, your people for an inheritance. If this if there is famine in the land, if there is pestilence, if there is blight or mildew, if there is locust and grasshopper, if the enemies besiege them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer or supplication is there, wait, is made by any man or by people or by your people Israel, each knowing his own affliction and his own pain and spreading his hands toward this house. Then hear from heaven and your dwelling place and forgive and render each to a, and render to each according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of sons of men, that they may fear you to walk in your ways as long as they live in the land which you have given to our fathers. Thank you, Brian. So Solomon kneels down on this giant podium, and he, he's addressing the nation of Israel and dedicating the building. And he does something very interesting in what we just read. He knows the history of Israel, that they have served God, times have been good, they wander from God, worship other, other gods, God punishes them, they realize they've messed up, they get right with God, they serve God, things go good for a while, they wander from God, he punishes them, they realize they've messed up, and there's this cycle that's going on. Solomon knows the history of his people. But I find it interesting that the dedication of the temple, he stands up and says, God, this is probably going to happen again. And if the people, if these people, your people of Israel, if they sin again, they walk away from you, they, they, they do something that you are unhappy with and you send Locust, grasshopper, disease, famine, drought. If you do, if you send any of those things as punishments for their disobedience, if you do that, he's kind of asking right now, before that happens, will you agree to forgive them if they return to you? They come back to the temple, if they're not close to it, if they just kneel down in the direction of the temple. They come to the door, they, they raise out their hands, and they say, God, we are sorry, and they repent to you. If they do that, will you forgive them? That's what he's asking. He's asking God to do that before they've even sinned again, because he knows it's probably going to happen. He's, making, he's asking God to make an arrangement, a covenant, an agreement with them, that if they wander, he won't just wipe them clear off the earth and say, I'm done with you. That if they come back to him, that he will forgive them 
and he will take away these punishments. Now, you might go, well, what's the significance of grasshoppers and locusts and droughts and famine? Well, remember, it's an agriculture society. They're growing all their food. They're not running to Fry's or Safeway and picking up something for the next couple of days and then coming back. They're literally growing all of their food. They're raising their own livestock. They don't go and buy, look for the best deal on split chicken breast or chicken thighs and determine if I want boneless or skinless this, this week. They're literally killing the animal, defeathering it, quartering it up, and then eating it. They're doing it all themselves. So when there is locust and pestilence and, and, and there are grasshoppers, there, what, what, what it's being signified here is they're destroying their crops. They're destroying the things that, 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 that help them live. It's being destroyed. They're in the land of Canaan, and they're still ex experiencing these things, and he knows that they're probably going to experience them again. And so he's saying, God, if people, if your people, Israel, wander away from you and mess up, Will you give them grace when they turn to you, when they return to this temple? Will you please do that and then end your judgment? Take away the things that are destroying their lands or their crops or their livestock. Will you take those things away? Let rain fall on the land because they need the rain for the, the crops to grow and the, the farmland to be fertile. They need that. Will you restore what has been taken from that land? That's what he's asking. Chapter, that's chapter six. Chapter seven, as he's standing there, something very interesting happens that I missed somehow up until this week of reading this again in this study, is that after he's done praying, fire falls from heaven onto an altar and consumes a sacrifice in a very similar way that happened with Elijah and the prophets of Baal fell out of heaven, consumed the sacrifice, and, the, and everything shook, the ground shook, and then the presence of God descended on the temple, and everyone realized the Lord has accepted this as his place. As this temple dedication ceremony is done, all of the people of Israel disperse, and Solomon goes back to his home, and that night... God appears to him and answers his prayer. You asked me a bunch of stuff. You gave me all these stipulations. And God responds to him. Second Chronicles 7, 12 through 15. This is God's response to him. The Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so there's no rain, or if I command the locust to devour the land, or if I send a plague among my people, and my people who are called by my name and humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears will be attentive to the prayer offered in this place. Next couple lines in your notes here. Who is God speaking to in this passage? Solomon. 
Solomon. Next line, who is God speaking of in this passage? Israel. So the next on your notes, the original context of this scripture is God answering Solomon's specific prayer regarding the future sin and judgment of Israel. The future sin and judgment of Israel. Now, I want to push pause right there for a second. I want you to pull out the the second page that would be on your board there. It's it's a little chart. So I've made a couple of little adjustments to this chart, but the lion's share of this I found. Someone else did the work online, and I found it, and I just said, you know what? That's probably a great great thing. There's no reason for me to remake the wheel on this one, so that's a right-click copy, right-click paste, right? Make a couple little adjustments and then put it in here. So at the top of this column, you'll see Solomon's blank. It's prayer. And the next column is God's response. Solomon's prayer and God's response. Now I want you to look at what happens in chapter 6 and chapter 7. These two things have been put side by side so you can see them very plainly, okay? So look at row A. Solomon's prayer, his request is have regard to the prayer of your servant, O Lord my God. Listen to the cry and to the prayer which your servant prays before you. That was Solomon's ask. God's response was next to that, chapter 7, verse 12. The Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I've heard your prayer. The first thing that Solomon asks, hear my prayer. God says, I hear you. Second thing, row B. Solomon asks, when the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, God addresses that. The next, the next column over, 713, if I shut up the heavens so there is no rain. Look at row C. Solomon asks, if there's locusts or grasshoppers, how does God respond in the next part over in verse 13? If, God, if, the, if I command the locusts to devour the land. Row D, Solomon's prayer, if there's pestilence, God responds, or if I send pestilence, see what's going on here? He's going line by line and asking, he's responding to every specific detail that Solomon asked him to respond to. If they wander from you and there's grasshoppers, yes, I will, if I sent the grasshopper. If you sent pestilence, yes, if I sent pestilence. Yes, if I sent disease or drought, yes, if I sent disease or drought, Then, now let's look at column error, or row E here. Solomon asks, if if all that has happened and your people, Israel, pray towards this place, confess your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear you from heaven and forgive the sin of your people, Israel. What's God's response? My people who are called by my name, if they humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin. That last row, F, Solomon asks, will you bring them back to the land which you have given them and to their fathers? Sin reigned upon the land and God responds, and I will heal their land. 
I'm hoping you see through that little chart there. It's kind of a little bit heady for a message, but I thought you guys would be able to absorb it. That every specific thing that Solomon requests, God specifically comes back and answers. Every single thing, every single detail, God saw every one of them. And Solomon asked, if you have done these things, will you forgive us? take this away if we repent. And God says, yes, if you turn from your wicked ways, if you seek my face, if you pray, I will hear you. Yes. The prayer that's being answered here, this specific verse that we have heard many times be quote unquote fortune cookied and taken was actually God speaking to Solomon, not to us. Next on your notes, you can go back to your notes. This scripture, this scripture is often fortune cookied by people who apply it to America. It's often fortune cookied by people who want to apply it to America. <clears throat> If you're in this room or someone who's listened to this and you just got really tense, like, wait, what? This doesn't apply to the good old US of A? The answer is no. Now just let that sit for a second. My goal is not to discourage you or make you sad or be like, wait, and just blow up a major cornerstone of something you believe. The goal is to look at scripture and say, uh, that wasn't to us. That was to Israel. But we want it to be to us. We want to take it and, and slap it and apply it. And, but the truth of the matter is, America is not Israel. And as much as we love the country that we live in to some extent, because it's far from perfect, but one of the greatest experiments in the history of mankind from a nation building standpoint, self-governing people, freedom, opportunity, as much as we have benefited from that land and from those, that structure, it is not the promised land. It's not. And we are supposed to work together to help preserve, protect, and guard the nation we live in because it has a direct effect on us and our ability to get together with other believers to not worry about trying to have people hunt us down and chase us and kill us for professing Christ, to not do what's going on currently in Afghanistan and murdering 11-year-old girls because they tried to go to school. Entire families are being murdered or in front of their parents because they have a Bible app on their phone. We need to work so that doesn't happen here, but that doesn't mean that this is the promised land.
because it is not. Are we supposed to pray for our nation? Yes. Are we supposed to work for the protection and its effectiveness? Yes. Are we supposed to pray for the leaders, the crazy out of their mind leaders who run this country? Yes, we're supposed to pray for all of them. All of them. And if you think the people who are crazy and out of their mind are only in the party that you're not a part, a part of, I got news from you. Uh, that ain't true. They are spread out equally among every scenario, uh, amongst every side. All of them. How do I know we're supposed to do this? You, know, Matt, you just crushed my worldview on, you know, I'm trying to humble myself and pray and turn from my wicked ways and God will come back and heal our land. Well, how do I know I'm supposed to do that now? Well, it's very clear. I put a couple of references in your notes. You don't, We won't read them now, but you can go ahead and take them home and read them. First Timothy 2, pray for the leaders in government. Acts 17, God created the borders of nations. Job 12, he controls the lifespan of those nations. So we are supposed to pray for, work for the betterment of, participate in the structure of the nation where we live. But it is incorrect to take this scripture and apply it as a recipe to restore America's greatness. Because what is it we want restored? I want us to turn back to God. Were we ever really his as a nation? We were built on biblical foundations. Anyone who tells you different is uh, ignoring history. 50 of the 56 founding fathers were, self -pro were professing Christians. All of them had a view, had a high view of God and a high view of scripture. They said a, a, a land that ignored the Bible and ignored the morality that was listed in the Bible would fall apart. They did say that. But this is not God's land. We're not the people of God mentioned in the Old Testament. That's Israel. That's Israel. We are grafted in as believers to be a part of the family, but he's talking about Israel. Because if we believe, let's just flesh this out for a second. If we, if we are someone who believes, well, if we would just come get people back into church. He laughs because we've been in a bunch of churches. And there's some of them I'm going, maybe we should take people out of this one. Right? Well, if we can just get people to, you know, come back and, and give their life to God, did they, did they give it to him and walk away? It's time for us to be honest about what's going on here. What incentive have we given God to save this land? What do you mean, Matt? Does God need an incentive to save America? No, but let's just think about it for a second. Like if you, if you were weighing against the pros and cons, if you're trying to say, man, I could deal with a little bit of garbage because there's so much good going on, 
try to work on this little bit of garbage, but we're going to continue to invest in this and we're going to protect this place. What has America, the wealthiest, freest, most technologically advanced, wealthiest nation ever in human history done with their freedom? You could say, well, the Christian people in the churches give billions with a B, billions of dollars every year to causes, to charities, to churches, to homeless, to, to, um, uh, to, to disaster relief efforts like the Red Cross. They, they give to other people. And you'd be right. That, that is a good one. More than 90% of all the adopted children in um, the United States are adopted by people who are quote-unquote faith-based or believers. Not all of them Christians, but the vast majority of them are. And you'd be right. That's good. Many years ago, we exported a lot of missionaries to the world, and that was good. But what have we really done with that freedom besides rebel against God? America is number one in the world. It's the world's number one exporter of pornography. By a mile. 482 million web pages dedicated to the subject of porn. The last statistic I was willing to dig up and study because it made me nauseous was 89% of the world's pornography came from America. We're free, man. Can't tell me what to do. Every day has millions of people search for pornographic material online, but you know the number one day for searching for that is? Sunday. That's not a preacher trick to, I'm lying to you because I know you won't look it up. No, go find it. Sunday's the number one day. We want people to come back to worship, but we weren't specific enough. We want them to worship the God of the Bible, not the God of self, the God of lust, the God of sexual immorality, the God of indecency and debauchery. Because people are worshiping on Sundays, but more and more people are worshiping other things in other places. What have we done with our freedom? What have we done with it? 62 million children have been murdered by abortion since 1973. Roe versus Wade, it's 47 years. 63 million children. You hear that number and go, man, it's a lot. But think about this. One out of every five people alive in this nation, what if suddenly they fell to the ground, dead, dismembered, right next to you? What kind of trauma would happen to watch that? One in five, because that's close to 62 million. In 2019, almost one-third, one-third 
of the pregnancies in America's largest city, one of the largest cities in the world, New York City, ended in abortion. A third? One out of every three kids was murdered? In the city that boasts the Statue of Liberty, which is up to her neck in the blood of the unborn. What do we do with our freedom and our, and our, uh, our abundance? We give our greatest awards and platforms and entertainment to people who talk about, sing about the most immoral things. So much so that the last two years, number one song in the world and the greatest performances presented at the Grammys, the, the night of a top of music, which no one watches anymore, but it's still the, still the number one place to award people for their achievements in bravery and art. The last two years, in front of God and everybody, adults and children, millions of people who watched or rewatched it in prime time or online, people that were celebrated the most literally simulated homosexual acts on a stage, recreating different scenes where sexual immorality is no longer said, oh my gosh, it's taboo, at least put it behind the door. No, it's brought out into the mainstream and everyone stands and applauds. How brave. That's what we've done with our freedom. The largest video streaming company in the world is based in America has produced multiple shows highlighting and promoting pedophilia. Well, they're just talking about reality, what's really out there. And they still unashamedly, unabashedly pour it out like somebody dumping a sewer in your lap. And we keep paying for it because we gotta have that service. Our politicians and our government leaders lie, steal, cheat, kill. We all know it. They defame, slander, ridicule, and they stand and throw verbal insults and mud at each other until no one is clean, and then we declare a victor? What about the church? What have we done with our freedom? We interact, we interact with God when it's convenient. The Bible sits on our shelf or 
a chair or a nightstand or a table. And we walk by it, hmm, kind of busy today. A little tired. We bow our head before almost every meal and ask God to bless it. Bless my kids, bless my job, bless my efforts, bless this offering, bless what I give, bless my car, bless every my family, but rarely bow our needs and ask God to forgive us for what we've done with our freedom. We're apathetic, embarrassed to share the gospel, and would rather treat the Bible with enough arrogance and disdain that I can just grab something and apply it to wherever I think it goes. Like a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. Oh, this will work, I think. And it doesn't. But we think this passage. Well, if we'll just humble ourselves and pray and turn from our wicked ways, then God will heal our land. We'll heal our land to Solomon meant sin rain because we need to have food to eat. Remove the disease and the pestilence so that we can actually do something to survive with our families. Remove your hand of judgment, but we just want our convenience back. We want our prosperity back. If you make $30,000 a year in this country, you're on the top 1% of the world in wealth. Welcome to the 1%. Huh? Do we need to repent? Absolutely. Do we need to turn from our wicked ways? Mm -hmm. Do we need to beg God to stay his judgment and run back to the foot of the cross, not to the church, but to the foot of the cross? and repent of what we've done with the abundance, prosperity, and freedom that has been given to us, you can bet your bottom dollar, yes, we do. But we can't say, quote unquote, heal our land as a metaphor. We can't stand in front of people and say, if my people are called by my name, humble themselves and pray, turn their wicked ways, God will forgive our sins and he'll heal our land and America will come back and we'll, we'll come back to prominence and we'll be the biggest, baddest dude on the block again and people aren't gonna mess with us and my team wins. The only problem is, is that um, the team you're really on is the one where God is the leader and what he has promised all of us is not to restore our comfort, but to give us eternity. 
but I want him to heal our land. So do I. I don't want to lose the freedoms we have. Neither do I. But God orchestrates the rise and falls of nations based on the fulfillment of his purpose. And if America will no longer serve God's purpose, what is the incentive for him to bring it back? Make it great. What's the incentive? I don't see one. Matt, are you telling me America's falling apart? Well, kind of. You can look around and see that for yourself. That's not a newsflash. I will work for the betterment of the country that we live in because it impacts our ability to worship God. But I'm going to work and put the effort into the work to making sure everybody in this room and everybody who listens to this and anyone that we run across to has a bigger picture. Don't point them to the savior of America because America is just a group of people who agreed to operate by a certain set of rules. And America doesn't go to heaven. You do. America doesn't miss heaven. Disbelievers do. So before we take passages out of the Bible and apply them to our nation, we got to be careful that we're not so flippantly disrespectful of the almighty, perfect, infallible powerful word of God that all we want to do is try to find a way for us to stay in the comfort and life quality that we have grown accustomed to. I actually think it's an incentive for God to take those things away. Why? Good times produce weak men. Weak men produce bad times. Bad times produce great men. And I wonder if it's been a little too easy. I wonder if we've taken the freedom for granted. I wonder if we've looked at the comfort we have and said, I want this to stay. More than do I really want to repent? See, as much as this scripture doesn't apply to America, what it does show is the character of the God you serve. When people genuinely asked him, will you forgive us? What does he say? Yes, I will. When he says, when people come to him and say, I want to turn from my wicked ways so I'm not living under this judgment of an eternity without you, God is willing and able to say, absolutely. So although this passage does not directly apply to the United States and we can't just slap it on like it's, like it's flex seal, like a commercial, 
a big tub of water with a leak, and we go, whoops. We can't just look at the, the decaying moral fabric of America as a leak and smack a scripture on there that doesn't apply to it and be like, oh, good. Make us great again, God. Mm-mm. Because although America will not stand before God, we will stand before God and answer for what we did with the freedom we were given. Because it is a gift. Am I telling you, join the military, protect America? No. What I am saying is, the last time you sat with God and let him shine the light of truth from his word and his spirit on every dark crevice of your life and dealt with the embarrassment of what has shown because we tuck away our sin in these little hidden areas. And when they come to light, it's wildly embarrassing, but until they come to light, you're not going to confess them. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, then you will be saved. It's going to start with confession. I don't want us to look at this passage any longer as it applies to America because it doesn't. But what I do want us to do is look at this passage from now on and realize the overwhelming love of God. I think we sang it last week was, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Forget what it'll do for America. Think about what that repenting and turning from our evil, wicked ways will do to a heart that is calloused and lost without him. I want to encourage you as you go from this place this week that next time you pick up your Bible, I hope it's every day, the next time you pick up your Bible, just to stop and think, God, I want to understand what you're telling me. I want to understand what you're communicating here. I want to take the reverence that I have for this and re-elevate it to such a high priority that I wouldn't dare take some little scripture and try to apply it to some place where it doesn't go because I don't want to get what I want. I want what you want. That's one of the main points of this entire series is that we would elevate our respect again for God's word. That it wouldn't become something I have to do. It would be a precious moment when I can crack the, the cover of that open and read about the character and the hope that is there for us. Should we pray that God's judgment has stayed from America? Yes. But God is under no obligation 
based on that scripture to come and quote unquote heal our land, whatever that means. He's under no obligation to do it. Now you could be like, it's hopeless. You could feel that way. Or you could look at the heart of Solomon and all of Israel and say, if we repent, will you forgive us? And there will be no national turning point towards God until the people who serve him kneel and repent. Matt, you handed out fortune cookies. This is kind of funny at the beginning. Got really heavy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why? We can't do that to God's word. Can't do it. Matt, it's a little hard to, man, I, I have to go back and read the chapter for it. Mm -hmm. I have to actually sit down and read this and try to figure out what it's, yes. But what if I get it wrong? You will in some instance. But I guarantee you, you'll get the most of it right. I hope the sobering reality and conviction of the Holy Spirit would do to you what it's done to me for the last three days. Would make me look at the Bible that sits on my nightstand or in a backpack. And not just walk by and be like, cool. I got four or five more on a shelf in there. That would wear those pages out and pursuing my God. Last month was our two-year anniversary here, and I told you, we are going to push you. We are going to encourage you. We are going to set it out in front of you to dig deeper roots into God. And the first one we talked about was scripture. And this is the way we do it. We don't treat it with irreverence. We don't treat it with some flippant disrespect. We elevate its priority in our life. And we act on that priority. If you're someone who says, kind of not open that Bible in a while, and take these notes home, and it was kind of my reading for the week. Okay. I've been there. I tried to sustain ministry like that. Doesn't work, much less a life. I'm hoping the Spirit of God pulls you to his word harder and with more conviction than you've ever felt in your life.